This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malat. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 3. This season, you will get the privilege of meeting the formerly incarcerated and those who mentor, employ, and restore hope into their lives. I am partnering with Defy Ventures to bring you this dynamic series that will teach us what the journey looks like for life after prison. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Sandy Rodriguez, who is the Senior Manager of Prison Programs for Defy Ventures. She oversees the in-prison programs at six correctional institutions throughout Southern California. Sandy's goal is to provide an excellent program to entrepreneurs in training that you will hear referred to as EITs a lot throughout this podcast while simultaneously maintaining a transformative relationship with the prison and the reentry community. A little bit of background on Sandy's history. She has a Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of California, Davis, in comparative literature, Spanish, and a minor in global and international studies. After gaining experience in the school district, accounting and school operations and grant management, She became a freelance writer and operations consultant for various charter schools across South LA. More recently, Sandy managed an academic intervention program at a middle school in Watts through the City Year Los Angeles organization. Sandy is proud to continue her work as an advocate for her community in dismantling the school to prison pipeline. She strives to be an anti-racist abolitionist who recognizes that her upbringing as a child of immigrants in Southeast Los Angeles is directly tied to her professional career in the criminal justice field. Hi, Sandy. So you're in your car. That's your quiet place. (laughs) I am. So let me explain myself a little bit. (laughs) Um, So I'm in front of a prison. I'm in a prison parking lot. Uh, that's actually California City Correctional Facility right there. Okay. Uh, and the hope was that I would be able to use a room inside the administration building in the prison. And it didn't that work didn't out. Happen. Well, so, you are awfully um, sweet to be in your car. I hope you're not going to like overheat or anything. No, I, I think I set it up so that uh, <laughs> okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm super excited to hear your story and how the formerly incarcerated and incarcerated are touching your life and how you are touching theirs. So thank you so much for joining me, Sandy. All good things. All good things, yes, yes. All right, well, I wanna get to all the good things about the work you do and who you are and how you ended up at Defy. But first, if you could time travel and you could live anywhere in the world at any time, where would you choose and why? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so funny because that question has come up twice for me now in the really? past know, three weeks. Yeah, yeah. So I have, I have two answers, so I'm going to cheat a little bit. My, my first one is um, 
I would like to go into the future. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like a hundred years, two hundred years, just to see if we have figured stuff out. <laughs> as a society. Yeah, like right. Just, like just yeah, just just to just to peek around and to be like, oh, okay, good, we fixed that thing, like mm-hmm. that thing that we were working on a hundred years ago. That's it's, it's good now. That's fantastic. Um, a fantastic thought. I hadn't really thought of that, but it would be nice to see the uh, fruits of our labor. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So that's my first answer. And then my second answer, which is probably my more genuine one. I would like to go back to when my brothers, so I have little little brothers, four younger brothers, two of whom are twins and they're Mm -hmm. 17 right now. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind going back to when they were like one and a half, two years old, Mm -hmm. uh, just so that I can see them be cute and running around. Sweet is that? Yeah. Yeah, oh, so that's I, insight into your tender heart. I can already tell. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I think that one would would beat out the future thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're close with your family, huh? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. Very yeah. Tell me more about your family and how you grew up and what shaped you, the good and the bad, to bring you to where you are right now. Yeah. Sure. So. Um, I am a Southgate kid, so I was born and raised in Southgate, which is southeast Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, it's a predominantly brown, uh, predominantly low-income community. Um, okay. I'm a child of immigrants, mm-hmm. uh, and I was the first one to go to college. So I'm a first-generation college student. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and, um, yeah, like my parents... And their parents came over for the American dream. So Mm -hmm. education was instilled on me from a very young age. Mm -hmm. And my parents were teenage uh, parents. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, they were pretty young when I was born. My mom was 19 years old. Uh, So to put a little perspective, that meant that when I was 13, my mom was... 32 years old yeah so we, that's yeah. good perspective yeah <laughs> uh so um in a weird way we kind of grew up together mm-hmm. uh they were they were great parents they were very loving great parents but that that was a thing there right that they were so young yeah uh, when they had me and and then i and then they had more kids <laughs> my four younger brothers after me um, the youngest of whom, like I mentioned, they're 17 years old now, which is the age that I was when they were born. My life involved a lot of babysitting, a lot of uh, schoolwork, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> a lot of family around me. I come from a very big family. How can you um, raise twins without family? That's what I don't understand. That is so much work. <laughs> yes, and it, it was... And we used our entire family to do it. I mean, Good. I was surrounded by, yeah. Good I was for surrounded you. By, by aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, neighbors. Uh, I was very much um, surrounded for a very long time by people who looked like me, who cared about me, who loved me. Mm. That's beautiful, actually. You are surrounded by love. Okay, so I got that main concept of your life. 
<laughs> a lot of people can't say that. I'm glad you can. Um, because I was a good student, the community really did bend over backwards for me. Uh, I really saw that a lot, especially in, in school. Um, it did not, however, bend over backwards for my brothers or for a lot of my neighbors. Mm. Uh, and that became really obvious to me probably in high school. Uh, mm. And ultimately kind of led me down this path of in the criminal justice field in mm -hmm. school reform and education reform and then ultimately on the school to prison pipeline and working within the prison system. When did the whole school to prison pipeline understanding come to you? When did you see that? Did you see it in your community? Is it something you just learned about in school? When did that reality hit you? Yeah, so I think when I was a student, uh, I saw examples of it. I probably, if it, I didn't get the language for it probably until much later, until you know, well into my 20s, into my adulthood. Mm -hmm. um, but there was always this feeling of different pathways for different people. Uh, and I was on a specific pathway and I was on that pathway for specific things regarding my identity mm -hmm. and other people, other people whom I love were not on that same pathway. So that, that part of it became clear to me pretty early on. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say it wasn't until you know, I started reading and started uh, talking about critical race theory and started really researching it that I got language for it. Mm. Yeah, it shows the importance of educating ourselves and the things we don't understand. Um, that's so true. This is one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is to educate myself and what I don't understand about um, our justicism. I don't even know if that's a good yeah. word to use, justice. I don't okay. know that there's much justice in it, but um, I'm hoping that I can learn from you. Um, so how did you end up working with, for prison reform and, and against all this injustice you started learning about? Yeah, so um, after college, uh, I, you know, probably unsurprisingly now, really wanted to come back to South Korea and come back to my community. Uh, so when I did, and I kind of looked around and was able to say, what, what do I do? Where can I have an impact? Um, I started my career into the education system. Uh, I'd like to tell people that the crash of the economy crashed was in October, 2008. Mm -hmm. I graduated from college May, 2009. Oh, uh, so there were <laughs> there were no oh, jobs no. whatsoever. <laughs> um, so I came back to Southgate and actually started off as a part time math tutor. Uh -huh. uh, so I went into schools tutoring tutoring geometry, um, and then from there, kind of stayed in the tutoring, um, what is called academic intervention world. Mm -hmm. So I worked with kids who were struggling, kids who were having a hard time in a regular classroom in the usual curriculum. I was there on the sidelines helping those who needed more, who needed more support. 
I did that for a really long time, um, academic intervention work. I uh, did it in middle schools and high schools predominantly. Uh, and then um, decided, uh, you know, I've been on one end of the school to prison pipeline. I wanted to do what I considered harder work on the other end of the pipeline. Um, found the five ventures, applied, and now I'm here. So when you went to college, did you major in social work? Did you major in education? Both? What was your major? How did you get into this? Yeah, so um, I went into college as a math major. Math uh, major, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, did not, it did not work out. Um, I was actually very lonely in math major. So I imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's so, not common for many women. I think that's, wow, super empowering for you. Way to go. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't. Thank you for that. I I appreciate it. Um, I switched though, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't stick with it. It was lack of community thing because I was, mm. like I said, I was a first generation college student. Um, mm -hmm. I was one of the only, you know, uh, brown students in a lot of my math classrooms, mm. uh, and I was, you know, identified as a woman, so it was, it was very isolating, and I was not able to you know, to crack through that. I, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to struggle. I didn't want to, at mm. least I didn't want to struggle in, in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, so I switched my majors. I uh, majored in comparative literature, Spanish, and with a minor in global and international studies. Ooh. Uh, so that, <laughs> I like so it. That, that's where, <laughs> yeah, that's where I ended up, um, which, you know, is funny because like a lot of other college grads my age I think uh, there is no direct link to my current career and mm -hmm. my major but so true uh, it definitely yeah <laughs> it definitely helped I would say the the critical thinking part of a liberal arts degree helped. yes well it also sounds like to me just from hearing what you said and not really knowing you at all but the importance of community and people being around you seemed very important it was important growing up and then you didn't get it in your math major and that took the joy out of something you loved and so you would rather study something else and have community and i think maybe that is what makes you good at what you do now is because you understand what that lack of community does in a person's life and what yeah. the benefit of it is yeah, there's there's a there's a pattern there. Huh? There is. I'm seeing it, and I'm not even a math major. <laughs> so I, I imagine you bring that sense of wholeness to the people that you serve in the prison. What does your job entail as the Southern California in prison senior program manager? Yes. Uh, so um, we have. Uh, the work that we do at the five ventures can be split up into two two categories. There's the in-prison uh, classes that we do, and then there's the post-release uh, programming that we do. Mm -hmm. uh, I oversee the programming that happens inside of prison in six prisons across Southern California. Wow. Uh, so I make sure that, you know, things are running smoothly. I make sure that the 
students and the instructors are uh, that they have what they need to run a classroom to have a, a positive learning environment even inside of a prison i do a lot of communicating i'm kind of the in-between person with prison staff and the five ventures as organizations as institutions mm-hmm. uh so um yeah that's that's my world so right now that involves well it involves a lot of traveling a lot of road I time bet. um yeah <laughs> uh and a lot of navigating you know different cultures and different people within the prison system in different prisons oh, i can't imagine how adept you've gotten at at that in particular mm-hmm. um now some of my questions might seem uh maybe ignorant and i'm sorry <laughs> i apologize ahead of time because i've never i've only known one person who's ever been to prison and so i don't have any construct i have nothing to base anything on so i'm hoping to learn from you um did you ever know anybody who was imprisoned prior to taking this job and if so did you have a positive or negative experience with them were there any hurdles like psychological or emotional hurdles you had to overcome in order to do this job interestingly uh no i before i came to defy i did not know anyone who had ever been incarcerated mm-hmm after working with defy and once people learned what i what i did i realized that i did know people they just were ashamed to talk about oh. it and i had not known uh-huh. you know the, the history of it uh-huh. um of their history of it it's, it's kind of a yes no answer and yeah i mean now i know tons <laughs> um Yeah, uh before working at Defy, the first time I had ever stepped foot on a prison was once in college for a Chicano health class. Mm-hmm. Uh we actually um it's going to sound weird, but we essentially took a field trip into a prison to check mm-hmm. out the medical facility to see uh how it was and, and that was that was a Chicano class that I took. That would be so eye-opening if all of us were given that opportunity actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of fear and stigma attached to what we don't know. And in this instance it would be prison or those who are incarcerated. Um so it sounds like you're very comfortable with the people you work with and um and people sense that, I'm sure, right? Um did you have like a a learning curve? that it took you like what were some things that you had to learn that you weren't expecting that you would have to face Yeah, I mean there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh okay, so I'll start off with um probably the most surprising thing that I have to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh the most common question that I get asked when I tell people about what I do is aren't you scared? And like aren't you scared? the people and too scared of going in. There was some fear. Uh my coworkers really helped a lot with that with those first kind of beginning fears of actually stepping into a prison and going through. The surprising part was the people that are incarcerated that are in prison. 
were not scary to me. It was the institution itself. Interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it's designed to be scary. Yes. So it's, it's, the, it's the barbed wire that was scary. It's the, the walls that are scary. It's the, the guards who are not smiling and watching you that are scary. It's the, the tower with, you know, an anonymous face up there holding a rifle. That's, those were the scary things for me. Mm -hmm. The meeting the people, uh, the being in the classroom, the walking down the hallways of a prison, actually, as sad as it sounds, felt very familiar. It felt like, like I was still surrounded by my neighbors, like people of, predominantly people of color, black and brown. Yeah. Uh, people who spoke like me, people who come from some other neighborhoods with me. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the first, um, I'll, and I'll use the word like culture shock for me of actually finding some of these things that felt familiar. After that, that, that was, you know, kind of the initial learning that I had to do. Uh, after that, it was learning <laughs> the prison culture. So there are a lot of things that are normal inside of a prison that are not normal out here. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's race politics, there's prison politics, there's certain ways that you need to talk to guards versus other people versus, you know, people of a different color of you and those kinds of things. Um, that took, that was, I, I mean, I'm still learning that kind of stuff. And, mm. and I will never be an expert at that because I don't live inside of a prison. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's another one. The third major one I would say is relearning my own values so that I could know where I stand when I'm working with the people that we work with. Wow, so, that's an interesting one. Relearning your own values. Like what types of values did you start putting more emphasis on? Sure, yeah. So um, before I ever stepped foot into a prison, before I started working with the five ventures, I had this value of uh, you know, everyone deserves respect. Every every human being, everyone that's out there deserves mm -hmm. my respect. Yeah. Um, that value got challenged for me when, you know, I'm working with someone and I realized that they were in there for domestic abuse right? or they were in there for, um, you know, the, the murder of the child mm -hmm. um, or they're in there for... Uh, you know, for taking a human life, right? So mm -hmm. these, these terrible things in my heart challenged this value of me, right? Like, do I still think, do I still feel that I should be respectful uh, mm. to, to the people around me? And I had to, you know, reflect and, like I said, relearn that when I say, everyone deserves my respect there's a period at the end of that value and that's it like yes my answer is yes everyone deserves my respect because i am a respectful person my my actions are not influenced by another person's that's very heavy and deep because i think a lot of us say things and then we don't know if we really evaluate them to mean everybody like you just said you caused me to sit and think would i respond the same way or would i have categories like i think that's probably what you're mentioning you were fighting like 
well, everybody except, like there's a but or an except, right? I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to probably be meditating on that the rest of the day. <laughs> and so how did you come to this conclusion in your, like, yeah, I'm against somebody. I'm against this action, but I'm not against this human being who committed this action. How did you come to that understanding in your brain and heart? Make those two connect. There was a lot of reflection on uh, what would it mean to not be, right? So if I, if I have a but, if I have a, you know, everyone except so-and-so, if, if I had that, then that would influence how I treat people, how I act, and I had no interest in acting that way, right? Those, mm -hmm. those negative ways. So in, in a weird way, it, it got to the point where, I don't want to say it doesn't, it doesn't matter what other people do, because it, it does, it's, it's part of their identity, it's part of their history, it's part of their, part of their journey. Mm -hmm. Um, but my, my journey, my platform where I stand is very firm. I, I know where I come from. I know, uh, who I'm representing when I, you know, when I take up space in a room, mm -hmm. uh, and because those are very solid, it was very hard for whatever other people do for outside influences or the environment. You know, it, it's harder for those things to sway me because I stood very firm in, in who I was uh, as a person and, and where I come from. That is so beautiful, Sandy. Your enlightenment in this area, you need to teach everybody that. That is just a beautiful way of approaching the world, I think. I, if we could all do that, could you imagine how kind everybody would be to each other and how accepting everybody would be? I appreciate it. You said there were a couple values that you had to reevaluate. Was there another one? Yeah, there's no shortage of racism, classism, you know, all the different isms in, inside of a prison. And they get carried out uh, in different ways, um, sometimes even by the population themselves right like incarcerated mm -hmm. people will uphold these racist ideologies while in prison mm -hmm. um and in the classroom it is possible for them to filter in so as a solitary learning spaces like the first time i went in i was like there's no such thing as you know racism in here when we're in the white classroom like all of that gets up at the door mm -hmm. and i'm you know everyone, everyone is, is equal. And, you know, I had these very idealistic and what I considered very positive uh, um, values that I wanted repeated in, in this learning environment. Uh, and I learned that some of those things are pretty naive. I had to learn that some things I needed to acknowledge, some things I needed to be aware of, uh, even if I don't agree with them, in order to be respectful of the people around me, I had to not ignore things and, you know, respond to them. Another one is, um, I mean, I would say the work that we do at Defy, um, I've been 
uh, accused of not being radical enough. So because the work that we do is essentially personal development through the lens of entrepreneurship, right? So mm-hmm. um, on a very macro level, on a very big scale, uh, when we're teaching entrepreneurship to people who are incarcerated and formerly incarcerated, we are teaching them to navigate a system so that they can make money, that they can support themselves. We're teaching them to navigate a system as it exists, knowing that it's an unfair system. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been accused of not being radical enough because the hope is to actually dismantle the system, not to teach people how to navigate within it. Huh. Uh, what I okay. really, what I really like about, yeah, what I really like about Defy is we do both, right? So. Um, when when I'm in the classroom, we're in the classroom. We're teaching people how to survive within the system. When Defy is not in the classroom, we're doing advocacy work. We're mm-hmm. you know we're participating in lawsuits. We are uh, trying to influence change in the community. That that's all towards the dismantling part. Of yeah. So it sounds like it's not either or. It's both and. Yeah, that's that's how I like to see it. Okay. <laughs> I know that there I know I have peers that would that would disagree with me. The way I see it is uh, you know, the people who are in prison today right now cannot wait for the revolution. I think they need support now. Mm. So, that's a good um, way to look at it, yeah. Give yeah, them the tools I'm, to get into it right now until the system adequately changes enough, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm comfortable with that. I I appreciate that about the five inches. This season is brought to you by Defy Ventures. They are a national nonprofit with a beautiful vision of cutting recidivism in half by leveraging entrepreneurship to increase economic opportunity and to transform lives. Defy's programs are helping currently and formerly incarcerated people across this country defy the odds by providing pathways that lead to employment, entrepreneurship, and a successful re-entry. Please visit Defy's website at defyventures.org and sign up for their mailing list to stay in the loop. Links to Defy's website and social media can be found in the show notes. In your your position and your role, um, has there been any experience or person that has stood out and touched you the most, touched your life or changed your opinion of something in a way you never imagined? There are many, many people who do that for me. Um, many people that I've met since working at Defy who have done that for me and don't know that they've done that for me. Uh, the one person that comes to mind right now is actually the first person who was incarcerated that I ever met mm-hmm. uh, through my job at Defy Ventures. When I walked into the prison, you know, escorted by prison staff, taken into the classroom, he was the first one that kind of approached me, shook my hand, you know, acted as host, showed mm-hmm. me around the classroom, showed me how the Defy program runs uh, at that facility. 
And I was amazed, right? I was like, well, this person is literally worth a million dollars. Like the way that he teaches, the way that he facilitates, the way that he owns the classroom, mm-hmm. all the all the professional uh, teaching moves that he's making while he's lecturing is top notch. He was released uh, in February. Uh, the day of his release, he came to the Defy Ventures office, uh, you know, to meet us and to get acquainted with our re-entry program, with our post-release program. Uh, and in that conversation, we finally learned that he actually grew up just a few blocks away from me. No way. Uh, yeah, we're from we're from neighboring cities. Wow. Uh, the prison the prison that I met him in is was in Central California, um, and it was just a straight coincidence that, wow. you know, had grown up very near each other uh, and met <laughs> met in prison. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're supporting him in his re-entry now. He immediately found a job when he was released because he, he does jail transcribing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's so a he, that's a special niche right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so he found a job immediately doing that and he's participating in our awesome. Do you feel that this population of people are marginalized? And if so, why? Yeah, um, yes, I definitely think they are. I think the, the primary reason is fear. Um, I especially think that now I'm working with Defy and telling people, uh, you know, what I do. Mm-hmm. The questions that I get are all around fear. Um, mm-hmm. Like, people think that as soon as you set foot onto a prison, you're like, you're you're gonna get stabbed every time you turn the corner, right? Like that's like that's mm-hmm. the that's the the stereotype. That's what we see in the media. That's you know, yes. That's the, the image that's out there. Yes. Um, so I, I do think it's fear. Uh, I also think it's a lack of, I'm going to use the word like uh, lack of proximity. Mm-hmm. Um, usually fear goes away when someone is in front of you and you get to you know, look them in the eyes and see them smile exactly. and you get, to, you get to talk to them. And because prisons are inherently isolated, right? Like they're designed to be isolating mm-hmm. physically. Uh, there's not very much opportunity for that for that to happen, for that connection to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's fear, and fear being actually pretty easy to get rid of, but because it's prison, we we, we can't. Yes. What an incredible insight that is. So if you could give just the regular person advice about how to just how to be more supportive and less critical and less fearful, what would it be? I'm sure you've, you've practiced. I'm sure you have plenty of practice in this, but what advice do you typically give, give the general public? Yeah. To practice vulnerability. I mean, there are opportunities out there to to meet different people. The biggest requirement is acknowledging that you don't know some stuff and you're going to do it anyways. At Defy Ventures, our staff 
talks to tons of volunteers and we recognize that every volunteer is at a different journey of their, you know, wanting to meet people and wanting to open up their worldviews. We get a lot of volunteers who say things like, oh, yes, I want to help this community, but not murderers. You know, like, <laughs> like, I'll help, I'll help yeah. this community, but not murderers. And we'll say, we'll say, yeah, hey, come, come by. We're not going to tell you who, Which... you know, people's criminal <laughs> histories. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but come join us right sit, yeah. sit by our people and view them as individuals my recommendation would be to, to take that step and being okay with being vulnerable um especially with a, an organization like defy ventures uh-huh. we're trained right we know we can see your fear and mm-hmm. still accept it and walk you through it that's fantastic I love that. So you're saying you get all types of people coming to volunteer, wanting to, do they mostly want to learn and actually contribute? Or do you have a lot of people who feel like they're coming in to be the savior and fix people? And how would you deal with that, that type of personality? (laughs) Uh, Yes, all of our volunteers kind of get filtered too. And it happens, it happens very organically, right? It's, it's a conversation, it's questions, either by, by Quan, either by me. There's a little check-in that happens. Um, and then from that point, depending on what the volunteer is comfortable with, what the volunteer wants to do, then we would identify different places for them. Okay. So that could be something as light, that could be something as light as a one-time meeting virtual with one of our participants. Or it could be something as heavier as, um, uh, you know, becoming a mentor for one of our mm-hmm. volunteers. And it sounds like you have a good pool of volunteers, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that. Since you're sitting in your car and you're probably burning up, I want to go ahead and bring this to a close. So we'll go into our final questions. You only have three left. Thank you so much for sitting there in that SoCal heat. I appreciate you. What is your one tip to make the world a better place? I would say my one tip for making the world a better place is find your home, find where your home is, and to make an impact there. Mm. Whatever that might be, wherever that might be, um, your home is where is where you know how to navigate. It's where you know how to move it's where it's where your privilege is where your platforms are uh, and that is where you can make an impact that's where you can make the biggest and most quality impact sandy that's just beautiful and so beautifully said i really appreciate that and i want to pass that along to my kids that's just excellent advice all my kids are young adults older teenagers. And um, that's something, if I was told that at that age, man, that would have made such an impact in my life. That's a great tip. And I can tell you know that from experience. You found your home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What are you the most thankful for right now? Right now, I am the most thankful for people who are funny. (laughs) I am most (laughs) thankful for being able to 
physically be around people again. And I am most thankful for the people around me who are not afraid to you know, show love. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't get a lot of that during the pandemic. And, and as you can tell, I'm, I'm someone who enjoys that. And oh, that. yes. And it must have been hard. How did you do your job during pandemic? Yeah, so we had to, so normally our in-person programming happens in classrooms. We had to switch over to correspondence. Yeah, so our participants worked on their assignments uh, in cell, in their cells individually during the pandemic. So, oh, and the prisons were much more adversely affected by COVID. I bet that was heavy on your heart the whole time. Like, am I going to go back and see the same people and all that? Oh, I can't yeah. imagine I was just going to add, we have um, participants who finish the program despite it all. So Really? Awesome. Who, yeah, who did with their assignment. Actually, today, um, and, and the reason why I'm in my car and came to prison was I was dropping off certificates of completion for some of the participants who finished the program during the pandemic. That's fantastic. Man, I didn't, I mean, I go from not even knowing this exists to being just so hyped and excited about it. It's just incredible. Well, last (laughs) question. What is your favorite quote? Okay, my favorite quote is by Gandhi. And it says, a true measure of any society can be measured by the way they treat the most vulnerable populations. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. That's beautiful. Well, Sandy, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time from your job to sit and visit with me, to teach me, to open my eyes to things I've never known and to give me so much to think about and to grow in. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you, Corey, for asking these questions and and seeking us out. (laughs) What strikes me the most is that Sandy is completely others-centered. She genuinely cares and does everything in her power to help make life better for those around her, be it her family, her community, or those she touches through her work. What a wonderfully unique vantage point Sandy brings to each situation she encounters. It was the positive influence of her community in her own life that taught her who she was and grounded her. She's personally witnessed the benefits of it and sees the lack of it in the lives of others and desires to cultivate that deeply held value. Speaking of values, I was quite convicted by her courage and self-reflection in re-evaluating her own value system at the outset of her work with the incarcerated. This is what makes her so good at her job, I think. She knows who she is and who and what she represents, so Somebody's actions can't change that about her. Personally, I think it was the strength, love, and inclusion of the community she grew up in that ultimately led to these life convictions that everyone is worthy of respect despite where they are in their journey of life. I really appreciated Sandy's favorite quote by Gandhi. I always love me a good Gandhi quote. But I also see Sandy's life being a beautiful example of another Gandhi quote. In it, he says, In a gentle way, you can shake the world. That sounds like Sandy to me. She certainly has with her unwavering love 
education, and support of all the EITs in her care through her work with Defy Ventures. May we all find our place to shake the world as Sandy has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.